Hey, you're listening to Single and Mighty, the podcast for single parents leading mighty lives. I'm Carmel Ecker, and with me is my co-host, Lindsay Carlson. Today, we're talking to David Delisle, author, entrepreneur, investor, speaker, and most importantly, dad. David's going to share his story of being a single dad and how he sees the world a little bit differently now that he's in the trenches with the rest of us. He wrote his first book, the graphic novel called The Golden Quest. It was published in 2022 and teaches kids and adults how to live a richer life and create the freedom for what is most important to them. The awesome stuff. I really enjoyed this conversation with David as a coach because coaching is all about you know, any of us living an amazing life, living our best life. So, and it seems like he's done that. And he's also written a, a book that helps kids and actually is really also very good for parents. <laughs> it's good for adults too. You know, things to think about when you, when you're thinking about what do I want my life to look like? Yeah. I really like that too. I think he's got this book that he's put out and it's really great that he wrote a book to begin with and did a beautiful job of it. That's super fun. Yeah. But then the content of the book, it, it's supposed to be about finances, but really it goes a lot deeper than that into what makes a good life for each person, each individual kid. So I think yeah. it's super fun and I'm so glad that he wrote the book. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm so impressed that he did this. I think it took a lot of work to put all the pieces together. And, you know, he works full time. He's a single parent. Like it's a, it's a lot to get out a project like that. It takes real commitment and it actually kind of inspires me because I'm working on a couple of books, totally not related to single parenting, <laughs> but I'm like, okay, what's the commitment I need to make to get those projects out there? So just the fact that he did this is really inspiring to me. That's so awesome. Yeah. I can't imagine putting together a book project right now on top of everything you're up to these days, Carmel, <laughs> but it's good to see other people who are doing what you want to do. And even if it's, you know, even if you don't want to write a book, but you have some kind of unusual business idea up your sleeve or something that really is speaking to your heart, mm -hmm. looking at people like this, who have done those projects can help us realize that they're possible and completely realistic. Yeah. So I, I think that's fun. Yeah. It's all about commitment. And the other thing that I really loved about this was that, you know, David has, as we often do, really practical tips for single parents for just, you know, how do you get along in the world? How do you get along when you're, you know, newly divorced? What are the, some of the things that he's learned along the way? I feel so blessed with all the guests that we have. They're so insightful and they've got such great experience and they're so willing to share. And David is certainly falls into that category. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's get started. Here's David Three, Delisle. Two, one. David, I have to tell you, we are so intrigued with the idea of saving it for the awesome stuff and really choosing intentionally. So welcome. Thank you for hopping on the podcast today. And I can't wait to hear more. Yeah, no, I'm so excited. This will be, this will be fun. So the way that we usually like to start off is to have you give us maybe like the Coles notes of your single parent story so we can just get to know a little bit more about you. 
Sure. So for me, um, I'm sort of new on the single parent journey. So I've been separated from my ex for just over a year now, but we were high school sweethearts. So we've been together for over 20 years. And so I've got two boys now, 11, 13, going on 14. And so, yeah, it's a, it's definitely been a, a bit of an interesting journey and in, in transition with them. And currently I have them half time. So every other week. Wow. You're moving into the teenage years. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> dump, dump, dump. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's actually see, that bad. <laughs> just overnight. I mean, they're boys. And so their growth spurts are a little later. And just overnight, all of a sudden you see all their friends are taller. They're taller. Their voices start getting deeper. And and they start sort of they, they're sort of strutting around like they know everything, but yes. they're still so gangly and just awkward. It's it's actually pretty fun. Yeah, it remi- reminds me of Bambi in the Bambi movie when they've got their really really long legs and they're going every which direction and <laughs> stumbling through life. For yeah. sure, that's yeah. what teenagers yeah. make me think about awesome. sometimes. So yeah. the um, the journey of single parenting for you has it felt fairly um, amicable? I'm just kind of curious about. I'm always curious about how different single parent relationships, co-parenting relationships, work out. Sometimes, you know, it's a sometimes it's a journey to get to the amicable phase, <laughs> and some yeah. people never get there. <laughs> I mean, generally, so um, it's always trickier because I mean, if if it was 100, percent we probably wouldn't be separated. So, so this is true. There is that. So <laughs> it's, it's going relatively well. What I did. So before, like I'd asked all of my different, you know, friends that had gone through the same thing and were trying to do co-parenting and what worked for them. So it seems like there's a million different ways in terms of like scheduling. And because my boys are a little older and I didn't feel like I had to see them every day, I tried to figure out like what makes the most sense. And so, like I said, I have them every other week, but we do a transition on a Wednesday, which is really nice because then what happens is one of us drops them off in the morning, the other one picks them up and, you know, after school. So that, that part of the transition is actually pretty simple. Um, I have found there's a difference in just, you know, even having to transfer stuff back and forth. That can be a bit of a, you know, that can be a bit of a pain. So I started finding more duplicates of things just to avoid all of that. Um, and then one thing that I didn't, I should have understood, but I didn't anticipate as much, like just for the kids themselves is I tried to make the transition as easy as possible in terms of stuff. So they have everything they need. It should be simple. I pick them up. They just step right in. They don't have to pack a bag. And I thought the easier that is, the easier the transition. But the part I didn't anticipate is just how the energy in different households is so different. And so that transition still a strong, like that's a tough transition for the boys still just because they're shifting they're shifting gears. It's not so much that they can't settle into the place. It's more just they're shifting gears. And I think that was, that was something I wasn't anticipating to be as, as tricky as it is. So I know for them, like they're, they're handling it well and they're older and they're pretty independent little guys, but but that transition, uh-huh. it, it is still a shock for them every week. Yeah, because they're living in two households, right? Mm-hmm. The vibe is going to be a little bit different in each household. And also, it's just that it's even when it's 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 home, no matter which house you're in, it's still you're you're moving yourself 
from one to the other. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a mental and emotional thing. I'm, I know I'm not articulating myself very well, but I, I have a friend who actually has, uh, his business in one town and his home in another town. And so he kind of goes back and forth and always feels really unsettled. And, you know, he jokes about it being like living fluid, but he also simultaneously gets really frustrated that he's living out of his vehicle essentially because he's in between the two. So I can imagine for kids going back between two different houses, um, it's just, yeah, it's a little unsettling. Yeah. And I think we sort of, we know it's going to be unsettling, but I think we sometimes underestimate how big that transition can be. Even if we, you know, try to maintain the same rules and the same expectations and everything else, it just, that's a big part of it. And then even as, and then as a parent, um, mm-hmm. that took a while to get used to just that transition. Cause I mean, as we know, like kids are loud and they're busy and like, it's all hands on deck. So going from this like high adrenaline, crazy, busy yeah. week, and then they're gone and it's just quiet. That's a, yeah. that's a big transition too. So that's huge. And I think people don't, I think people feel it, but I think people don't necessarily call it out as often as that. We just kind of see lots of people do this. So we just go with it. But obviously for the kids and the adult, that's a huge adjustment. What, what have you learned or what kinds of things are you learning to try and make it easier on yourself? You talked about for your boys, but what about for yourself? Um, so I always, like, I actually love being a dad and I always did a lot with the boys and would be involved with taking them to you know, sports and birthday parties and setting up play dates. So because of that, like I love, I love making parenting easy. So I notice <clears throat> like a lot of parents, they might have expectations of their kids or their lives that when I look at it, they seem unrealistic. <laughs> so I try to go be a bit more pragmatic and make it easy. So I love like, you know, leaning on other parents almost all the time and, and having that network. So if there's like carpooling, for example, if we're all going to the same place, mm-hmm. I organize carpooling and I love like, mm-hmm. this didn't help me out, but it helped a friend out just the other day, also a single parent. He was coming in from a flight from a bit, some, you know, a work trip where he didn't have the kids, but he had to pick up the kids after school. And just looking at it as, you know, there's about a half hour window. It wasn't long, but there was a bit of time where it was going to be tight because you never know with flights. And he just called me up the day of, said, hey, are you picking up the kids today? If you already mind grabbing mine as well. And and even that day, like I had to drop mine off to, I think, piano or something. And there's all these things. But me grabbing his boys and just having them for a half hour or an hour was so easy. And and it wouldn't happen if you didn't already have those networks. So like I have a lot of parents' phone numbers just on my phone. So Mm. I can call them on a whim or you're running late and you need them picked up. Or even if something's going on that you don't know about, like, Oh, there's a, you know, there's a parade happening or there's this event. Do your kids want to join? We could come pick them up. And I mean, that's, I don't know why people try to do it on their own because it's, it's so much easier with that network. And not only that, the kids love it. Like they don't want to drive with their parents for, you know, 45 minutes to some play date. Like they want to hang out with their friends in the car if they can. So the more I can do those things, I mean, that, that makes, it makes parenting easier. And even like I was talking about that quiet and that non-quiet, it sort of levels that out because you, you're involved with people and adults all the way through with or without kids. So. 
yeah, staying connected, whether you're with the kids that week or not. I really like that. I, I find I was a person who had been isolated and a lot of women get isolated when they are in a, a people in general, when they're in a relationship, that's not going well. You, you tend to kind of pull back and cut down on your connections. And I've, it's taken me a long time to sort of understand how to build up a richer community around me. Um, so I imagine some people listening are like, oh, that's easy for you to say, you have all these people that you can reach out to. What are some, some thoughts maybe for people who don't have that connection yet, don't have all those numbers in their phone? What are some easy ways that we can start building that community around ourselves? Yeah. It's, I mean, first off, I'd say I see a lot of people like, and again, when I was talking about just the parenting to begin with, I, th- I think people put a lot of pressure and guilt on themselves. So I have to be doing it all and I have to be running around. Like the busier you are and the more you're fearing your kids and the more on it you are, the better parent. Like that's sort of a story a lot right. of us tell ourselves. So like if, if I don't pick my kids up after school and I'm just hanging out with some friends instead and I send you, Lindsay, off to pick up my kids, that must make me a bad parent. Like it's, it's that type of yes. guilt that sits there. And, and once you first off, just let go of that guilt because, you know, community is going to make a richer life all around. And also if you sort of think of how do you want your kids to be, do you want them to grow up isolated or knowing they can reach out and there's friends around and it's easy. So that's, that's the first one. That's great. And, and then just, I think, I mean, I'm social, so it's easier for me to approach people, but I think a lot of people like it, there's just a lot of opportunities if you're not in a rush. So that's the other thing. I think people feel like they're in a rush. So if you go to pick up your kids, like you have to do it fast, like get in the car where people are waiting, there's a lineup, there's other people and then just, you feel rushed and hurried and then you're gone. But if you linger for just a few minutes and even if you don't even talk to another parent, but you just smile at another parent and you see that same person Mm -hmm. every day for, you know, years, you're going to build a connection. Or even if you don't build a connection, if you see them at the grocery store around, there's going to be a familiarity. So it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be that big a hurdle. It's not like dating where you're approaching a stranger and like, are they going to reject you or not? You're just, you're seeing the same people over and over and over again. And the kids are in the same class. And I mean, I go a step further because I'm social. I'll walk up to the person and ask what they're doing and set up a coffee or an afternoon lunch or or something like that half the time and just get to know the people. But, but that's me. You don't have to do that. You can just, yeah, just see them around or know, oh, okay, I see this play date or this birthday party and it's a half hour, 45 minutes out of town. I know the kids that are probably going, do I have a connection with any of these parents? I know that like also a lot of times you might know the parents that are like in your community or nearby or around the same area. How would I call them and see, and you reach out first. I'm going in this direction already. Do you want me to pick up your son or daughter on the way? And that's mm-hmm. an easy way to start yeah. that. And, Give yeah. first. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So many good things happen when you take that first step yeah. in an offer. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. To someone else. And, and just to your mm-hmm. comment about, um, you know, hanging yeah. around the, the school or places where the kids are gathering and other parents are hanging out. My neighbor is amazing at that. And I've always just been like, gosh, how does she do? She knows everybody in the school. And I realized as you were talking, it's, oh, it's because she's always there. 
Like she's always hanging out, talking to the other parents and, and just Mm. connecting. And it's not, it doesn't have to be that hard, right? It doesn't have to be that hard to build that community. Mm -hmm. We just have to Mm -hmm. be willing to invest some time. And when you're a single parent, sometimes you feel like you don't have time, yeah. but it, it does pay you back. We can see that. Well, and with those hacks real quick, because like, I love those hacks. Because again, people just feel like, can we really do this? Is this allowed? And same with like how many times we have to drop our kids off. But it's like a small window, like an hour. So there's, you know, you can maybe jam in a grocery shop or a walk or a run. But I mean, it's really, no, it's really not a lot mm. of time. I'll take those times to like, who else is there? Love it. Why don't we go hang out? Mm-hmm. You know, if we're doing mm-hmm. like an hour drop off and I'm not going to rush back home, and I'm not going to go grocery shopping. I can go mm-hmm. for a coffee or go to a pub yes. or hang out with someone. So find out where those, who those people are and Hey, we're, we're both here anyway. What are you yeah. doing? And it yeah. doesn't have to be all kids all the time. And your life is on hold until you know, they move out of the house. Yeah. And I think that part of the magic in doing that is um, fighting the urge to do stuff on your phone. <laughs> this is what I see a lot when kids are at like karate or gymnastics or whatever, and the parent decides, okay, I'm just going to hang here and wait. A lot of the time they sit there and I'm totally guilty of having done this. You know, like, oh, I'm going to catch up on my emails or I'm going to catch up on my social media or whatever, like whatever it is. Um, a course, an online course that I'm doing and instead of actually engaging with the other parents that are present there. You know, why do we mm-hmm. make that choice? It's really yeah. a priorities thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I love that, David, because you sound like you're really focusing on like, what are the priorities for you with your time? And that's kind of like what you did with your book. What are the priorities in your life? I'd love to hear a little bit about the book that you wrote and the message that you wanted to spread with it. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's exactly that. So the book on the surface, it's a graphic novel that teaches financial literacy to kids, kids and adults, but the focus is on young kids. And so that's what it looks like. So a lot of people think it's all about investing and and money but really it's it's more about that mindset and that focus and a lot of it is because i found like when we talk to people everyone wants more money but we don't actually ask the first question of like why do we want more money yes and (laughs) yes and it's such an important question because it doesn't matter how much money you have if you don't really know why you want more you'll always want more So I see that where you'll see parents, like, it doesn't matter if you have a thousand, a hundred thousand or a million, those people in those situations are still, they're still looking for more and they still don't have enough because that's all they know. Like, okay, I've hit this plateau. Now what's next? What's next? What's next? And so in Mm. the book, I try to really teach that why first, and I call that the awesome stuff. And it's just, again, that, just that awareness or that pause or the intentionality of just asking it. And, and especially with young kids, it's fun because they, if you push them, they know what's important to them. They know what they love. And so I'll, I was talking to, you know, 10 year olds, they all want a million dollars. I'm like, well, what, why, what do you want to buy? Like, why would you, why at 10 would you feel this need? And then you start talking about the things they like, like they just like going for bike rides and going to the beach and, you know, having cake with ice cream with friends. So it's just, it's just interesting seeing that and, and just trying to figure out, well, how could you do more of that instead of, 
you know, what are you going to, what do you plan on buying with this million dollars? Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of adults Mm. don't actually know why they want more money. I think it's, I think there's actually a lot of us out there that don't actually know or won't acknowledge what truly makes us happy. You know, we're, we're caught Mm -hmm. in the culture that we live in and the expectations that exist within that culture that we should want more. We should want the exotic holidays. We should want, you know, all the toys. We should want the big house, right? Uh, All this stuff. And is that actually going to make us any happier? And what I love about your book is just that, that focus on, and I love the words, the awesome stuff, right? But the awesome stuff is different for everybody. Mm -hmm. And that different part is a big part of it. Like I was even talking about like the guilt earlier as a parent, we just, we layer so much of that into things and same with what people buy. Like we judge and we add guilt and everything else, which is why a lot of people don't, like you said, adults don't know what's important. So what I find interesting is most adults, if I pose this question, their immediate response usually isn't really what's important to them. And I can just tell by their body language, Mm. it's usually what they plan to buy next. So everyone knows what they want to buy if they have more money and they know where they want to spend more money. But their body language tells me it's not really what's important to them. And then that's where it's interesting because you'll see once they land on it, their body language will change. And that comes also back to the guilt. Like So some will tell me what they want to buy next. And then some, when I really dig deep, um, they'll preface what they love and what their awesome stuff really is with maybe like a one minute preamble of like excusing why it's okay or why it's stupid or like, I know this isn't the right thing, but... And I mean, that's the thing is we, that's what they love, but we've taught people to not, not really embrace what's important to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if part of that too, is that is, is a little bit of fear that what I really want is silly or, um, not worthwhile or, or maybe not attainable. Right. Like I want to be, you know, if someone says I want to be an actor and I'm a, you know, 45 year old, uh, let's, let's say it's me. I don't actually want to be an actress, but, (laughs) but let's say, you know, I'm 45 year old (laughs) woman and I want to be an actress. Um, does it, do you have to be like a, a Hollywood actress or can you go and get involved in your local, your local theater community? Uh Like, can that be okay? And can that be Uh fulfilling and not be silly and insignificant. Yeah. The more you dig into it, well, that's where it gets really interesting is because like you might like, like you said, like you want to be an actress. What does that mean? Is it Hollywood or is it local community? But then if you dig even deeper, it's like, why do you, what about that is even important? Because what happens is that external, that job or that money we use to create our identity. So, I'm an actress or I'm an athlete or I'm someone who has a million dollars or has a boat or this house on the beach versus if you take all that away and who are you, who are you first? And then those things can come. But like as an actress, it's, it's probably like, what about being an actress appeals? Is it fame that you want? And then again, why do you want fame. So just if you keep asking the question, you start realizing, no, I just like making people laugh or smile or whatever it might be. Or I like being part of the performing arts or like it just, 
there's so much to that question. And that's, what's so neat is <clears throat> it's one of those things that just evolves. Like when you first ask it, like I found myself what the more I talk about it, the more things change in my perspective changes because mm-hmm. you're just mm-hmm. constantly, if you're constantly uh-huh. just asking yourself and not even asking yourself, what do I feel in my body? Like this, this get me excited and light me up and I'm, I love it. Or am I maybe just doing this because everyone else is and it's easy and it's what I should be doing. Like you said, and, and there's so much of that. So that's what I see with the young kids. If they say something crazy and silly, we already see the damage we're doing because we usually tell them that's crazy and that's yes. silly. And yeah. then we wonder why as adults, we don't know, we're not doing what we love anymore. Yeah. And, and it sort of happens at those young ages. And so it's trying to peel that back again to get back to like, what, what do you really love? And, and usually those things, like money's a part of it, but usually it's not as much as we think it is. Yeah. Or if it is, then we could start, you know, maybe our thing is, you know, we are really into cars, but we spend all our money on clothes and shoes or whatever it is, our house. Yes. You know, it's the wrong, it's the wrong thing based on what you love. Yeah. I think, um, keeping track of your behaviors, whether it's your spending habits or what you put your time into or, um, what you think about, those are those really important indicators of what you actually want to do with your life, what you actually love versus these sometimes, you know, aspirational desires that we have that aren't really core to who we are. They're just like things that have come at us from outside of ourselves. And we're like, oh, well that, yeah, okay, that, mm-hmm. that looks great. That looks like fun. And it goes back to that identity thing. Like, how you want other people to perceive you, maybe the way that you think you want to spend your time and money. And maybe when you track it and you see your priorities and your values, then you have to shift your identity and how you see yourself. And maybe that's hard. Yeah. I mean, it is hard. Like you do have to be aware because it is hard and we just go on autopilot and that's the thing. But the reason it's so important, I've seen it, like even when I wrote the book and came up with it, I didn't realize how important it was and how much of a disconnect Mm -hmm. most of us have, including myself, until like I wrote it, started talking to more people. But the reason it's important is because if we don't understand what makes us happy truly, then the chasing will always we'll never be happy. Like that's the thing is that's what we, that's what I see now. And it doesn't matter what people achieve. Like I'm sure people always thought if I only had this dream house or, you know, purse or watch or anything else, I'll be happy. Uh And then as soon as that thing's acquired, then it's like, okay, Mona, what's the next thing? And you don't even sit with the excitement of that. And that's, that's the chase. And when we talk about like the rat race or consumerism, like that is it in a nutshell is uh-huh. that's what forces, forces us to chase. Cause there's no, there is no achievement. And so for me, I'm, I don't mind if people want millions or pretty things or expensive things. Like, again, it's not the judgment. It's, is that truly what that person wants or not? And that's a question. If we just start asking ourselves that question and noticing in ourselves, we'll slowly start trending more towards what we do love. Yeah. And I I think answering that question of why, why do I want that? But going beyond the first, the first level, like, are are you familiar with the, some people call it the five whys, some, some, the seven whys, the seven whys exercise. 
um, where, you know, you say, I want this. Okay. Why do you want it? Okay. And, and why, why is that important? And why is that important? And why is that important? And digging down into those multiple layers to really identify, you know, that core. And I, I always tell people like when you start to get emotional, you know, when the answer that you get to starts to make you emotional, then you're hitting the gold. Yes. And that's what I was saying where I, I, I could tell by the body language, like you could tell people when they lean in, they light up, their voice gets a little bit faster and more excited. Like they're, like you said, like the emotions there versus, oh, I always want X and it's just flat. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, you don't, you don't really, <laughs> I don't care if you do, but I know you do because yeah. you're just not that excited. I about love it. it. Yeah. Those are really simple um, lines of questioning, Carmel and David, that you were talking about that somebody could take away from this show and just sit down with a pen and paper and like, what am I doing? What do I want? Why do I want it? And then ask why again and again and again. And it sounds like that taking the time to do that, it can be really, really profound. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Well, I think the answer is usually not what you expect it to be. Mm, I love it. That's great. So David, what, what got you into writing this book and what was the impetus to put this huge project together and bring this message out to the world? Uh, so it's funny because initially it wasn't like, I wasn't planning on being a writer or putting out a book. It was a lot simpler. I don't know if you guys have seen or read the last lecture. No. Um, it's, it was, uh, it's been out for a while and there's a professor who basically was able to do like he had this lecture and he planned it out, <clears throat> but he found before, before he was able to do this big lecture to his peers, it's a big deal. He got, he was diagnosed as terminal cancer and he had a young boy and he basically dedicated this whole lecture to like lessons that he wanted to pass on. And oh. as my boys were getting older, this, this idea, this concept was just sort of sad a bit with me. Like, what are some lessons I'd want to pass on? And mm -hmm. in that process, I found a lot of it was around mindset and how I look at money a little bit differently. So I was just sort of trying to think of, you know, accumulate these ideas and, I, and, and thoughts. And at that time, it was more just, um, just something for my, for my kids alone. And that was it. And then it started evolving to like, oh, there's something, I feel like there's something here because it is different than what's currently out there if you're looking for information, especially around investing in money and teaching kids about money. And then along, those, along that same time, I was volunteering at my kid's school library and just saw the kids gravitating towards graphic novels. And that's all they wanted to read. And I was like, this, this could be a fun like this could be an easy, fun adventure. Yeah. And really there's not that many lessons. I mean, that's when you look at it, it's just a few basic habits and mindset pieces that mm -hmm. I could teach five-year-olds this through a graphic novel and it would be fun. And all the other stuff in terms of finance that we think we need to know really isn't that important. So, so that mm -hmm. was, that's how it started to evolve. And then it's just slowly kept growing from that point. I love that you decided to go with a graphic novel. Like I, I took a look at your website and I was like, oh my God, my son is going to love this. <laughs> like the, you know, the art is fantastic and the story is great. And, you know, it just, you're right. That's what kids are gravitating to. And so why not put it in a format that resonates with them? So I think that was... Kudos. That was a brilliant choice. 
<laughs> well, I'm surprised that there's no, like there isn't any big graphic novel mm. that teaches these kids these things and kids don't want to learn yeah. about money typically. So, yeah, you really broke the mold because I think these are really key mindset things that maybe I'm different, but I've learned in the past 10 years more than at any other point in my life I've leaned into. Um, and I want my kids to know it. So I tell them these sorts of messages, but for them to discover it on their own, just because it's fun, uh, that's just like yeah. super, super genius. And I, I think, I think this does more than just leave a legacy for your kids. You know, those lessons that you wanted. We live in a society mm. that cannot sustain the kind of rampant consumerism that is happening right now. And so I, I suspect that the legacy will go far beyond what you maybe initially intended and hopefully inspire the next generations to really think about what is important to them and what do they actually want to spend their money on, um, their time on, their resources on, so that, you know, there's a, mm -hmm. a shift in the way we think as a society. Yeah. Maybe it sounds a bit grandiose, but I think, I think it's possible, you know? I hope so. I mean, that's what has me excited. If this was, because originally it was just about just finance itself and creating financial freedom. And if that's mm. all it was, I probably would have already probably set the book aside and moved on to the next project. But it's exactly right. that. It's that mindset piece that is so important. And if, and if there's some way that I can help influence this next generation of kids, just think, think a little bit differently along things like money and consumerism. I mean, that's, that's what has me passionate and excited about this. Like, that's why it's something that I, that I'm sort of putting all my, all my energy towards. It's amazing. Cause I think we've talked a bit also about emotional awareness in kids and, and supporting them to develop that awareness of themselves and what's going on for themselves and others. And it feels like it ties in really closely. Um, the work that you've put out in this book ties in really closely to developing kids who are just more aware and spend a little bit more time thinking about what's important and make more conscious decisions. That's really exciting to me. Yeah. Well, I hope there's like, there's little seeds, like it's actually fairly complex and that's why it could be read by an adult because there's the seeds are simple where a five-year-old could get them, but they can grow. So even something like the awesome stuff in the book, I just apply it to where do you want to spend your money? What's your awesome stuff? But you can easily take that same lesson and apply it to friendships and time and work and all these things. Cause you start realizing like, who am I spending time with? Who do I like, who are the friends that light me up and who are the ones where I leave? And I'm, I'm not that excited, but maybe thought I should have be hanging out with and same with your work and same with, you know, everything. So it really, all these little lessons extrapolate outwards, which is really exciting. And, and same with the habits, the habits sound really simple in the book, but those mm -hmm. habits, if you follow those habits, all these things that we think about, like there's no budgeting in the book and there's no wants versus needs. And there's no talk about like lifestyle inflation, but the habits mm -hmm. themselves make it so those things are looked after and aren't important anymore. Mm -hmm. So it, you don't need to know all the details to know that 
these little, these simple changes can create a life of a lot more freedom, uh, financial freedom, a lot more happiness, like all these things. They're all, they're all there. And then the kids don't even know what's going on. They just, it just seems simpler to them. <laughs> what, what was the inspiration to uh, approach it from that very foundational level and not get too much, let's say too much into the weeds of the, the details of budgeting? And um, what was the reason behind your choice to, mm-hmm. to leave that out? <clears throat> well, so I'm definitely a bit of a money nerd <laughs> and I love the details. Like, I can talk interest rates and macroeconomics and the direction the economies are going. Like I, when I was, this will age me a bit, but when I was probably like grade six or seven, like they would put out finance books because there was no internet that would talk about Mm -hmm. different mutual fund portfolios and advisors. And they put out one annually and you could read it and find out their track record and who's going to be a top performing fund. And I think they call them like top funds or something. I was reading these things in grade six or seven. Like I love Wow. Awesome. I was not (laughs) reading that stuff. All right. (laughs) (laughs) No. I know who I'm having coffee with soon. (laughs) Well, and that's the thing. So wondering why I said it made it simple. If I talk about this stuff to anybody, there's very few people who don't just completely like blank out and just, they they don't want to know the details. And then even myself. So looking back over the last like 20, 20 years or 20 plus years Mm. of investing, I've loved this stuff. But if I really look at creating wealth, the habits were so much more important. Like knowing all these things I just explained, like they might move the dial slightly, but not really like if, if instead you followed some of these habits, you put away 20% of everything that came in your entire life, that impact yes. is so big compared to knowing the difference between this stock or that stock. And the reality is, is those details actually aren't important at all. Like if I look at it and I just handed all my stuff off to an advisor or just didn't even try, like tried to make zero decisions, just went with the average of the market, didn't try to beat the market at all. I would probably be just as like probably better off. (laughs) The stuff that bores people isn't important and that's really it. And so looking back and realizing that that's why I was like, like, I don't want my boys to like, if they're not interested, there's no reason for them to know any of that Mm. stuff because it really isn't important at all. And then that also what's neat is then when it's simple like that, you start seeing things like even the gender gap is a big gender gap with financial literacy. And I think a lot of it is this feeling that it's, you know, the complexity around it and the math around it. And just that's, that isn't something that's even important. So if we start getting rid of all those things, everyone can get behind just the simple habits and the rest doesn't matter. And I would say that most people who actually have created wealth and are investing, even those people, the majority don't actually know the details. That really helps. That that makes it such an easier bar to to look at. Because I know for myself, that's a new area of growth. And it's a little overwhelming to think about, well, how do I get started? And so thinking about it more holistically like that is, is really great. And I think a lot of people would find a message of hope mm-hmm. in what you're talking about because it just brings it to everyone instead of it being so... You have to understand, you have to 
you can't make the wrong choice. You have to find the right people and believe the right things or you're really going to miss out. This is, this feels a lot less chaotic and a lot more doable. And, and that's really hopeful. Yeah. And, and it is, there's, there's been new changes that make it really easy to not actually have to even make decisions around investing. Like you can just jump into the average of the market and aim to achieve the average. So with things like market timing, Mm. you don't time the market, you just always invest. Mm. So if you think of your monthly paycheck coming in, if a portion's always invested, sometimes you'll be at the bottom of the market, sometimes you'll be at the top, but it's going to average out. Yeah. Because it's just Uh by the nature of it. So now you take all those peaks and valleys and you've averaged them out. Same with specific stocks. Uh Instead of chasing, you know, Bitcoin or Tesla, if you're in the entire stock market, one company can go under, but other ones will go up. So you're betting on the entire North American economy, not a specific company. Mm. So again, it averages out. So you don't need to know the details of where things are going. You just are in the market as an average and... Over a long duration, you know, a few years, I don't know uh-huh. what's going to happen. But 10, 20, 30 uh-huh. years, that money's going to grow. Uh-huh. So especially with the young kids, it just, it takes all that complexity out and they don't have to know, you know, what are you invested in the entire right. market? Why, why'd you pick that? Well, <laughs> the law of averages. No like, I didn't pick anything. <laughs> I did zero analysis. Yes, that's, that's amazing. So for busy single parents who aren't so sure how to get started or what to do next in their investing, definitely check out the five habits yeah. in David's book. The awesome stuff. Well, we're heading into the last little bit of our call today. Oh my gosh, I feel like we need to have you on another call <laughs> and, and further the conversation. But we have a lightning round and just a few questions that we would love to ask really quickly. Um, so if you're up for it, (laughs) Carmel, do you want to ask the first question? (laughs) Uh, Single parenting is finish the statement. That's a hard one. Uh, I'd say single parenting is a really good opportunity to be the parent you want to be. So Mm. good. All right. Well, let that one sit. Um, do you have any special traditions or rituals that you share now with your kids that make your family unit kind of have their own thing? So I don't really call them traditions. It will be in line sort of with, you know, this whole conversation we had around money and awesome stuff. I like to involve my boys in some of the decisions so sort of some of the either or decisions where like where we want to spend our money, especially around things like vacations, mm. like here's some ideas we can do. Here's some things that can happen and then just let them know the cost of different things. So then they, they can see that the different values. So, so I do try to incorporate that. So, so they understand what they have some autonomy and what we choose to do as a family and what's important to us. It's really growing that financial literacy from an early age. Mm -hmm. That's really great. Mm -hmm. Awesome. What is the best or worst piece of advice that you've gotten as a parent? (laughs) Actually, I'm going to go with worst. Love it. That's always the better answer. General. (laughs) (laughs) So I love listening to other people's opinions on anything. And there's going to be a lot as a parent, 
And so along the worst though, every, as, as any parent knows, every child is different. So all this advice, it just because it applies to one child doesn't mean it'll apply to another. So knowing your child and just all that advice you ever get, it's all the worst advice if it doesn't apply to your kid. Like it's just <laughs> know your kid. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Make the, make the decision for the kid in front of you instead of thinking that you, yeah, need to follow a certain path or a certain, yeah, recommendation. Love it. Excellent. All right. And last one, any books or podcasts that you're really into these days that you'd love to share with our single parent listeners? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm always reading books um, and podcasts. To it's podcasts. like the, like, the mutual fund guide. Yeah. Of <laughs> I actually don't listen to a lot degree. of finance stuff. Um, I mean, okay. I, I love uh, Liz Gilbert. Uh, Elizabeth Gilbert mm. from Eat, Pray, Love. And actually, funny enough, less for her writing and more for just who she is as a person and what she embodies. Yes. Uh, and she was actually in Victoria recently, which was really cool. So I was able she to was. meet her yes. and give her a hug. Did you go? I went, yes. Yeah. Oh, you gave her a hug? Gave her a hug. Oh, and she's fun. so just lovely and yes. down to earth and sweet. Yes, so lovely. So I love that. We went and saw her too. Oh. We went and saw her in Vancouver. Oh, yes. So that's pretty fun. Yeah. yeah. So I definitely like her stuff. There's a really fun book. Um, and it's a graphic novel or not a graphic novel. It's illustrated, but it's really an adult book. Uh, I, I always get it mixed up, but it's basically like the fox, the mole, the horse. Yes. Like that. By Charlie. Yeah. Maxie. Yes. Or Mackeasy. Okay. I don't know how you pronounce it. Yes. But it's just, it's, it's just beautiful. Cause it's just, again, these really simple concepts that you read. Like it's, it's a beautiful book. Um, mm. and then what else? I like that one. I also like, uh, Jen Cicero. Oh, she writes how yes. to be a badass. Yes. Jen Sincero. Money, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And in terms of just like mindset piece yeah. and law of attraction, like that's to me for the skeptics out there and you don't want to read, you know, whatever it is, the secret, her stuff written from a, like a New Yorker is a lot more pragmatic and makes sense. So you start recognizing, mm -hmm. yeah, how big an impact your thoughts have, which I like. Absolutely. I like it for that she reason. has such a great writing style That's and she's awesome. got some totally some nuggets that I've, I've written down over uh, from her different books that are just like primo. Yeah. She tells it like it is. David, thank you so much. This has been a fantastic call. And I think We've gotten a lot of value and some ideas about how to approach decisions and priorities in our lives, including finances, but, but way bigger than that. So it's been fantastic to hear your story. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. It's been, been fun. Before you leave, we want to give a big shout out to our friend and musician, Laura Koch, who wrote our intro slash outro music. Laura is the singer songwriter for the band, The Quirks, and you can find them online at The Quirks. K-W-E-R-K-S dot com. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and share it with other single parents in your life. Thanks for listening. Three, two, one.